According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. We are in Proverbs 8 once again, looking at the uh, final details here, verses 32 through 36. Now, therefore, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are they, or happy are they, who keep my ways. And it's amazing because we live among so many people that are uh, giving themselves over to anything they think causes happiness or will produce happiness. And yet the Bible tells us again and again and again where our happiness is to be found. And uh, we have all the Makarios statements in the New Testament, like in the Beatitudes our Savior gave in Matthew 5. And then we have the Asherah statements in, in the Old Testament. And uh, usually they're rendered as blessed. I think that's a legacy of the King James translation. Uh, But the issue is the issue of personal happiness. It is the mental state, the emotional state of happiness that we subjectively experience based upon the objective blessings that God bestows through His Word. And uh, we want to be clear on these things here as well. So let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Ask the Father to bless our study, and then we will be happy with his blessings today, shall we pray. Almighty Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word and the blessing we have to assemble together, the grace provision whereby you have made it possible for us to come together and receive instruction. Father, we uh, acknowledge your sovereignty and your glory the authority of your word in our lives. We recognize that your word has absolute authority in our life. I pray that we would be humble before it as we study it, and we would remain humble before it as we live it out for the glory of your Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, It's important, I think, that we recognize that the therefore is therefore a reason. All right? The therefore in verse 32 demands that we understand the uh, beginning of the humanity of Jesus Christ in verses 22 through 31. And everything that comes down to what it was that the Father and the Son were delighting in, having fellowship in, as uh, the newborn uh, humanity of Jesus Christ played in the eyes of God the Father. And so as we spent several weeks to go through this material... Um, I think there is a significant so what that comes down to it. And uh, we shouldn't just dismiss the idea of a so what. Uh, you know, uh, it's probably right, but maybe not. And who knows and who cares and what difference does it make? If the hypostatic union uh, began before the foundation of the earth or if the hypostatic union began in a Bethlehem manger in the first century, does it really make a difference in how I live today? Well, if you accept the therefore in verse 32, uh, there is a connection and that the application is grounded in the humanity of our Savior and the plan uh, for humanity as it is played out here. It is the instruction to the sons that the Father and Son delight in. And so, uh, again, I'm not going to reteach what we looked at, but just remember, I think everyone here was, was present for these classes, that uh, verse 30 says, I was beside him as a master workman. That's the side-by-side work. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. But beyond that, we have before him. I was daily his delight. And so what is it that a father takes delight in when he observes his son? I was daily his delight. We're we're trying to learn what is pleasing to the Father because we want to be daily our Father's delight. Rejoicing always before him. Our true joy comes before him in the presence of the Father, knowing that we are his child, knowing that we are operating before him. Uh, The eyes of the one with whom we have to do is what it says in in, uh, the New Testament. And so rejoicing in the world, his earth, the fact that he did it, but he did it at the Father's command. And it is through him and it is for him, but nevertheless, it remains his work. 
Because when he created all things, it was in obedience to the Father. And a day is coming when he will deliver the kingdom back to God, that God may be all in all. Again, it is the world, his earth. And having my delight in the sons of men. That is the moral realm of creation that images God. The moral realm of creation that has a father-son relationship as we have as a procreative species. The uh, angels are a moral realm of creation, but they don't procreate. The animals procreate, but they're not a moral realm of creation. Humanity does both. We procreate and we are the moral realm of creation in the image of God. You understand how this works. And so uh, this is what he has his delight in. Having my delight in the sons of men. Now, therefore, O sons those sons of men in whom I am delighting, listen to me. And so the obedience to the plan of God, the obedience to the word of God, the attention that we place on the written word and the, and the attention we place on the living word, the person of Jesus Christ, is because it's connected to this very thing we're studying today. It is the relationship between the Father and the Son, the Father's delight in the Son, the Son's rejoicing before the Father, and who we are now in Christ. See, it's significant, greatly significant in this uh, application. So now therefore, O sons, listen to me, for happy are they who keep my ways. Heed instruction and be wise, or listen to Musar instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Happy is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts. So we have uh, the watching and waiting that we'll see in that tandem there. It's a part of the definition of what it means to be listening. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. And we have a gospel call here in this passage, an Old Testament soteriological invitation. He who finds me finds life. If you don't come to the Lord, you don't, you're going to spend all eternity in the lake of fire. All right? That's why we have the admonitions to seek and to find, and he who seeks shall find. And the, uh, the application is there. Seek the Lord while he may be found, we're told. What is the, the opportunity we have to get saved? Say. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me injures himself. If you reject the one and only provision for eternal life, there is no other source. There are not multiple paths. There are not multiple truths. There is the truth. There are multiple lies. And uh, all those multiple paths you're told are just as good or just as valid or whatever, it's the whole, uh, and we're steeped in it. Our culture is absolutely sold out to the, the whole idolatry of multiculturalism. I call them the multiculties. And the whole thing with these multiculties is that, and they are cult-like, right? These multiculties that, that want to put Christianity on a playing field with every other belief under the sun. Well, right now there's an invasion taking place of folks that don't hold to the same multiculturalism view that these insane multiculties do. And uh, how are they going to deal with it? Say, I think it's societal suicide to uh, cling to your multicultural idolatry even while the, uh, the Muslims come and chop your head off in, uh, in that regard. All right. But he who sins against me injures himself. All those who hate me love death. And this is what it comes down to. Those who love me and those who hate me. Speaking from the perspective of Jesus Christ. Okay? not speaking from me, but from the, per, from the perspective of, of this verse, all those who hate me love death. That's Jesus Christ. That's wisdom who's speaking. The whole issue is what think ye of Christ? Do you love him or do you hate him? All right? Because to those who hate him, God's judgment comes to the third and to the fourth generation. It's very limited. He cuts it off. He stops it there. That's how long-suffering he is to that third and that fourth generation. But what about to those who love him? to a thousand generations of those who love me. You understand? This is what makes it foundational to the whole realm of Scripture, the whole counsel from Genesis to Revelation. is about loving Jesus Christ or hating Jesus Christ and why it is that humanity is what images God in this 
in this way. So, uh, point three in our outline was the development of the begotten Son. This is the most detailed passage in all the Bible concerning the beginning of the begotten one, the beginning of the begotten Son. All right. In certain distinctions there, I think it is important that we uh, delineate a, uh, some of the finer points between creating and begetting. Jesus is the creator of all things because the Father begat the humanity of the Son invested it upon Him. But the created things were the work of Jesus Christ as the God-man in hypostatic union creating everything else. Then under point four, Proverbs is not simply David and Solomon providing wisdom to their sons, but God the Son, that is wisdom, providing instruction to the sons of men. And we really here have a capsule of everything. The entire Christian way of life is summarized in these verses, is it not? Accept Christ to get saved and then live in the Word of God. How much more simple can it get than that? <laughs> get saved and live in the Word of God. All right, keeping my ways. That's not just learning information, that's learning and living. That's intake and exhale, right? Inhale and exhale. That's keeping my ways. And so, under this, We have the definition of shama, what it means to hear, what it means to listen to, to obey. Sometimes it's rendered as obey because the intensity of this kind of listening demands that you're not just hearing something and ignoring it, you are paying heed to it. You are listening diligently. You are listening with the, under the authority that compels you to do what it is you're told to do. And so Shammah is a very uh, worthwhile study with 1,158 uses in the Old Testament. It's one of the longer word studies you'll ever do. I don't know that there's a word, you know, more than that in the Old Testament other than the or he or, you know, pronouns and goofy prepositions and whatever. But words of, of significant theological substance, a verb such as Shamer, or I'm sorry, Shammah, that's nearly, you know, that's 1,158 times. The Bible has a lot to say about Shammah. 30 of those uses are in Proverbs. And better than any Hebrew lexicon, just look at the context. This verse will tell you what it means to listen. Because the verb is used in verse 32, verse 33, and in verse 34. Listen to me. Uh, it's rendered heed in verse 33, and I, I don't like that, but listen to instruction and be wise. And then listen in verse 34, happy is the man who listens to me. It's used in three straight verses here, 32, 33, 34. And uh, when the New American Standard uh, rendered it as heed in verse 33, I think they obscured the fact that it's shamak in all three verses. Shamak, shamak, shamak. It's, it's pounding the point home through the repetition. And uh, on that basis, I would be reluctant to render it as heed in verse 33 simply because uh, the noun musar uh, instruction, it doesn't really require a heed. Uh, you, could leave, uh, you could leave it as listen, listen to instruction, listen to me, listen to me, listen to instruction. It's, it's, it's uh, nothing wrong with rendering it as listen to just because it's musar instruction. That doesn't demand a different English translation, but for any reason. All right, so do the word study on Shammah and uh, the 30 times that you find it in Proverbs and you realize it's not only an Old Testament application, but it carries across into the New Testament as well. Why is it that uh, we have seven times in Revelation 2 and 3, he that has an ear, let him hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, and here if we got triple redundancy, what about you know, a seven times redundancy in Revelation 2 and 3. You've got ears, use them. You know, use the ears God gave you. You have spiritual ears in Christ. The, the, the new capacity is as a living human spirit, the capacity to hear the things from the Spirit of God. Use those ears. Don't close your ears. We saw in Jeremiah last week, when you close your ears to truth, what happens? You actually open your ears to the lie. It's pathetic the way that happens. You're closing your ears to truth, but your ears are wide open to the lie. 
That's why one of the clues we have that spiritual ears are different from earthly from earthly ears, okay? Because I can shove cotton in my earthly ears and then that blocks out everything. I can't hear truth or lie or good music or bad music or anything if I've packed my ears full of of cotton or wax or whatever, right? Um, but your spiritual ears are different. When you close your spiritual ears to truth, those spiritual ears are wide open to your sin nature, to the flesh, to carnality, to the lies of Satan. All right. So we have context here. And you, you can spot it. You don't even need Hebrew study to spot it. What do you see is a definition of listen in verse 32? Well, the other half of the poetry. These, these all, this is all poetry, and these lines define themselves in parallelism. So, therefore, O sons, listen to me, for happy are they who keep my ways. You see, there's a parallelism between listening to God and doing what he says, keeping his ways. And so a definition of shamat is not just simply hearing what he says, but living it, responding, ordering your life according to what he reveals. It is a parallel. Likewise, in verse 33, listening uh, requires that we not neglect it. There's a parallelism there in verse 33. Heed instruction and be wise. We'll talk about that before we get to the second aspect of parallelism. Heed instruction and be wise. And then secondly, do not neglect it. In other words, you cannot just simply do this for a little while, do this for a season, do this for you know a period of time and then stop. What happens when you stop? What happens if, if you say, well, that's good enough, isn't it? I've learned some things here and there. I've learned, I know a lot. It's not about what you know. It's about what you're listening to and what you're doing. Because if you stop listening, even though you know better, if you stop listening, you're no longer wise, according to this text. How is it that you have wisdom? How is it that you are wise? And do you stop being wise if you stop listening, I believe you do, because you start when you stop listening to truth, you stop you start listening to the lies. You start employing the wisdom from below, the wisdom which is earthly, natural, demonic. So do not neglect it. There's too much uh, wisdom neglect, I think, these days. All right, and then ha- verse thirty-four: Happy is the man who listens to me. And how else do we define shamat? Well, what, what are the parallelisms here? watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorpost. That not only do we have temporal wisdom in terms of our daily activity here on earth, but we also have an expectation in the unfolding plan of God for what's coming next. We know where we are in the plan of God. We're not maladjusted to any dispensational realities. We know where we are in the body of Christ. We know that the the rapture of the church can happen at any moment. That that trumpet could sound today. Oh, that it were today. All right. And uh, we are watching daily and we are waiting at his doorposts. At his doorposts. What are his doorposts? Uh, are we ready? Are we eager? Are we so attached to this life that we're not, uh, we're not eager to step across the threshold into his house? Different applications there. And so we use context to provide great definitions. And we have some of these definitions played out now in the subpoints. So subpoint one, listening is parallel to keeping my ways. Listening is parallel to keeping my ways. If you don't keep his ways, then you weren't listening. Okay? You might have heard, but you weren't listening. Not as shamat is defined. Okay? Because it is parallel to keeping my ways. You're like the the hearer only and not a doer of the word in in James, right? The New Testament teaches it in James as hearers only, but not doers of the word of God. And then in James, we're told that that such a person is self-delusional. He is deceived, deceiving himself. No, shamat is parallel to shamer. That's why I've misspoken, I think, twice already this, this morning uh, by saying shamer a couple of times when I meant to say shamat. All right? They both start with the sh and the m. Okay? The sh and the m. In uh, your sh, there's your sh, 
There's your muh. There's your muh. So reading from right to left, you have the, the sheen, the maim, and the ayin for shamak, and then the sheen and the maim and the resh for uh, shamer. So whether you end it with an apostrophe or you end it with an R, these words are so close. Okay? And it would be very easy for a, you know, a little Hebrew school kid to memorize this passage because of the similarity of the words. Shamat and Shamer. So keeping my ways, keeping, guarding. Thy word I have hidden my heart. Are we treasuring the word? Are we not only doing it, but guarding it? This is the imperative Adam had in guarding, keeping the garden, in guarding the garden. And he failed there when he let the serpent in. And so we have Shamer. It's, it also shows up twice in this passage. Shamak shows up three times. Shamer shows up two times. Shamer, number 8104. 468 uses, so about a third of the uses that uh, Shamak has. To keep, to observe, to guard, or to watch. 468 uses to guard, to defend in many passages, depending on, again, the context of of what's happening there. But it's used in verse 32. It's also used in verse 34, where we have the tandem of watching and waiting. All right, that tandem of watching and waiting. Two more verbs. In fact, it's another verb that shows up there in uh, verse 34 with the watching and the waiting kind of neat the way they match those up with w's so you can see the tandem there we just need a, a w for keeping keeping my ways anyway we need a w for listen what would a w for listen be listen no i can't do that a w for now i can't think of a listening verb that starts with w all right and so we have it are you are you hearing doctrine as the word of god has taught are you guarding it? Are you keeping it? Are you living it out? You know, the things revealed belong to us and our children forever. What a grace provision that the creator of the universe takes the time to explain his thinking to me. Who am I? Why would he bother explaining himself to me? But he does. He gives me his mind. He gives me his word. And the better I know him, the better I can serve him. Okay? Because I know him. See? And it's, that's true in, in any relationship. You get to know him. You get to know what he likes, what pleases him, what displeases him. Different aspects. You don't even have to be told anymore. Once you, once you really get to know it, then even without asking, even without thinking, you just know right off the bat. All right. We also have a great example here in terms of Abraham, in terms of uh, Isaac, the uh, Israel in the Old Testament. Abraham set the principle, set the example for this principle in Genesis 26, 5. Israel was expected to do likewise in Exodus 19 in verse 5. It is fundamental. That's why I think this passage here in Proverbs 8 applies across the board regardless of dispensation from the Gentiles to the Jews to the church to the, uh, to the fullness of time. It will always be the case that humanity needs to be paying heed to Jesus Christ. All right? And living out the Word of God, guarding what their instructions are, and living it out. So let's look at Genesis 26 5 and see what we're dealing with here. This is as the Old Testament, as the Abrahamic covenant becomes confirmed to Isaac, God so very patiently provided Abraham with an unconditional covenant. He did so in many different unfoldings, starting in Genesis 12 and being unfolded in in, uh, many of the chapters between chapter 12 and chapter 25. And each unfolding added additional information and never contradicted anything previous to it. And so you really have to study all of those chapters to get a comprehensive view of the Abrahamic covenant. It's a very useful uh, thing to study. But now, as uh, uh, Abraham has uh, passed on, and we have the, uh, the, the confirmation of this here to uh, Isaac, all right, um, it's kind of an interesting 
story here in these early verses, there's a famine and uh, Isaac wants to go down to Egypt and the Lord says, don't do that. Uh, sojourn here. And it's, it's kind of interesting because he's going to have a, a, a sin, a failure, very similar to Abraham's failure. He's going to lie about his wife and say, she's my sister. All right. And you're like, come on, didn't, didn't you learn anything? Your, your, your father messed up twice doing that. Okay. Well, in the, in the process here, um, the Lord verse 2, appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt, stay in the land of which I shall tell you, sojourn in this land and I will be with you and bless you for to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. And so all the doctrine that applies to the Abrahamic covenant is now being applied to Isaac. And that's important because he had other sons. He had Ishmael. He had other sons through Keturah. But it's vital that we understand that that unconditional covenant to Abraham descended through Isaac, not any other son, and then from Isaac to Jacob, not any other son. That's what makes him the God of Abraham and Isaac. That's what makes him the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what makes him the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. And when you say the God of Israel, that includes Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so uh, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and will give to your descendants all these lands. And by your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now notice, this is the, 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 the reconfirmation of the Abrahamic covenant, but specifically identifying that it's through the line of Isaac that that covenant will be ratified, that covenant will be provided for. And then through Jacob, not Esau, but Jacob. All right? And then with the 12 tribes of Jacob, we learn that the covenant applies to all of them equally, but one of those tribes is the one that's going to produce the Messiah. Okay? And so then you have messianic components that get added to the Abrahamic covenant. And then, of course, it comes down through David. So you have Judah down through David. And that's why when we open up the New Testament, what do we have? We have, I don't want to misquote this, but Matthew 1.1 Wow, this is a side trip for a side trip. That's pretty good. Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, what does it say? This is how Arnold Fruchtenbaum got saved, by the way. Some Christian showed him a Bible and showed him how the New Testament got started. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. <laughs> and Arnold Fruchtenbaum goes, wow, that seems pretty Jewish. <laughs> right? He thought that the Christians had a Christian Bible and the Jews had a Jewish Bible and Somebody showed him Matthew 1.1 1, 1, and Arnold was overwhelmed and said, that's, that's pretty Jewish right there. Okay? But notice, son of David, son of Abraham. And obviously there's you know, 58 other generations in between, but those two names are pinpointing the critical aspects of the unconditional covenants. The unconditional Davidic covenant that speaks of the, the, the reign and the glory, and then the unconditional uh, Abrahamic covenant through which all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So this is now what's being spoken of here as it's confirmed to Isaac. But look what else he says. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge. Now notice, not just my charge, my charge, my commandment, my statutes, my laws. Well, that's a lot of work. My commandments, my statutes, I'm sorry, my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. All right? And uh, you could spend some time doing all those word studies and learning the difference between a charge and a commandment and a statute and a law and aspects there. But, the, but before you get to any of that, though, what do you have in the first part of verse 5? Abraham Shama listened to me. Now it's translated as obeyed, and that, I don't know why, but he listened to me and he guarded, and he kept. He listened, and he kept. And, uh, and it's, people mess this up, I think, frequently because they confuse an unconditional covenant with obedience that comes out of that unconditional covenant, like circumcision. Circumcision is a sign of the covenant, and Abraham obeyed. He did what he was told in the circumcision instructions. But that doesn't mean that the Abrahamic covenant itself was conditional and had Abraham disobeyed, then God would have thrown away the whole covenant. 
or that he would have broken the covenant. You see what I'm saying? Just because it's unconditional doesn't mean that there is not a place for obedience. Of course there's a place for obedience. We were saved, are we not, unconditionally? But did we not obey the gospel? See? So don't think that simply because it's an unconditional covenant, that, that maybe that's just a, a shortcoming in how we teach the covenants. Unconditional versus conditional. Um, a, a conditional covenant can be broken if we violate the terms and if we don't obey and so forth. An unconditional covenant cannot be broken. But don't think that that means that there's nothing to obey or disobey or some of those factors don't come in, because they do. And we see it here. And I think if we render the shamat and the shamer here in the same way that we render it in Proverbs 8, we might do better. Where we listen and we guard. All right? Where we listen and we keep or we watch. All right? And we're watching his ways. How are we watching his ways? It's not just a list of do's and don'ts and doing the right things and not doing the wrong things. But it is listening and keeping his ways. We're doing these things not because of lists of right and wrong, because these are his ways. I want his ways to be my ways. Right. Those are his ways and I'm making them my ways as I keep them, as I guard them, as I observe them. Right? That's the the whole impact on this. And Abraham, the the father of our faith, the father of the faithful, Abraham set that example. By your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. For, because, I forget what the pronoun is there, because Abraham listened to me and he he shamacked me and he shamared my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. Well, that, that means there was a whole lot of listening because he didn't get all that all at once. It is a lifelong experience of listening and keeping. You never stop listening and you never stop keeping. So Isaac lived in Gerar and then it goes on and we have the example there. All right, let's get to Exodus 19 and verse 5. Exodus 19 and verse 5. Of course, this is Exodus, and we're talking about the Exodus. Okay? The, the Jews have been redeemed now. Israel has been brought out of Egypt. Moses has delivered them. They've come through the Red Sea. They've come now to Sinai, where they're going to receive the law, the wilderness of Sinai. Okay, And... Um, so in the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the very day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. And when they had set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. And there Israel camped in front of the mountain. Again, in front of. Don't lose sight of that. We are in front of the Father. They were in front of the mountain. And Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel. All right, the Jewish people. They are a people group and they are becoming a nation. They are becoming a house. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, was it the American Air Force that evacuated them out of Egypt? But wait a minute. It says, I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Okay? You know where I'm going with this, right? Because we have eagle's wings used in Ezekiel and Isaiah and other prophets. Zechariah, I think, has one used. And um, there are prophecy students who will see that and they'll look to uh, an, an American fulfillment of somehow the eagle's wings references the United States Air Force and some kind of great airlifting that we're going to do. Right? Yeah, there's eagle's wings right on top of our flag after all. And I would put forth that they are, they have a faulty hermeneutic, that they are applying to their eschatology that clearly has no application in their, uh, in their history, uh, the narrative of the Exodus described here. All right, that's just a side trip, no, no extra charge for that. All right, verse 5, now then, and we're going to have this tandem of guess what, Shamat and Shamer, the same tandem that we have in Proverbs 8. 
Now then, if you will indeed shamat my voice and shamer my covenant. Now this is when we start to get down into the conditional covenant of the Mosaic law. And keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. But now notice, do they ever stop being his possession? Even when they break his covenant, they're still his possession because the basis of that is on the unconditional Abrahamic covenant, not the conditional Mosaic covenant. That becomes a distinction as well. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. And so the entire nation should follow their Abrahamic example of Shamat and Shamer, listening and keeping, listening and keeping. And unfortunately for, in the Old Testament anyway, for Israel, uh, what they had to Shamat was conditional in terms of a law they could never possibly keep. And yet they were commanded to keep an unkeepable law. See, why the law then? Well, Galatians. (laughs) All right. And, and how the law is the tutor to lead to Christ. Whereby, what are we going to do in the age of grace? We're going to shamat and shamer. We're going to listen and we're going to keep. The great thing, of course, is that we get to listen and keep to freedom and grace and the New Testament and the abundant blessings that we have in the church age. But it's still shamat and shamer. That has been universal among all the stewardships. I think it goes back to the Gentiles, goes back... Uh, I think in Job we can find Shamat and Shamer. We can find the principles there at least, if not verses containing the exact words. Uh, I think in the angels. We observe what happens in the fall of Satan. He did not Shamat and he did not Shamer. Instead he rebelled. He didn't care what Yahweh had to say. He was going to have his own say. I will be like the Most High God. And uh, so he was not Shamat or Shamering. Okay. I'm sorry? Yes, he corrupted his wisdom by reason of his splendor. That's right. But even the, the, the function of Shamer, by the way, that function of Shamer, that was assigned to him. He was the guardian cherub who covers. The anointed cherub who covers in Ezekiel 28. And when you see that term, uh, and I placed you there, he was there to guard. He was there to Shamer. All right. So we have, let me get back to Proverbs now the parallel between listening and keeping. Because if you're not keeping, then you weren't listening. That's important. All right. Proverbs. Goodness. I can't find Proverbs this morning. There we are. Now therefore, sons, listen to me. Blessed are they who keep my ways. Heed instruction and be wise. Heed instruction and be wise. Be wise. Sounds like a a book title from Warren Wiersbe or something, right? Didn't he write all those books with B in the title? Every book of the Bible is be this or be that or be whatever. Um, Well, here's be wise, okay? And the idea of being something is like the idea of having something. It's the idea of, of uh, it's a transitory state in the, uh, in the human experience. Uh, if you've known uh, people that uh, could be, um, there's some people who, who think they are funny and they're not. Okay? And they make a great effort at being funny and uh, they need to keep trying. Okay, <laughs> haven't quite got there yet. Or some people are are um, depressing, and they don't try very hard at all to be depressing, but they just naturally come by it. And they can be depressing. They can be happy. They can be encouraging. Oh, those are great folks, especially when they're gifted that way. In the in the outworking of the church age, you got gifted encouragers, and they're empowered to be encouraging, or to be at peace when everybody else is losing their mind okay and they're all they're all um out of their out of their gourd right they're being they're being insane and we're being calm and we talk about being a state of being like be wise or be holy 
or be perfect, for your Heavenly Father is perfect. Anytime we are commanded to be something, do you ever consider how transitory that is? And do you ever consider that um, getting there is not enough? You have to stay there? Because what happens when you stop being holy, or you stop being perfect, or you stop being happy, or you stop being wise? In other words, it's not, it is a transitory human experience that is not something you arrive to or attain to, as Paul says. Not that I've already laid hold of it or I've already arrived or already have become perfect, but I press on. Because being is so transitory. And uh, I think that becomes a significant issue as well. The... um, Imperative here. Heed instruction and be wise. Subpoint B. Being. Being wise as a transitory personal state. Alright, that's, that's... I think I'm going to stick with that. I, I wrestle on how to, what to call it or how to call it. A transitory personal state. And it's a contingent state. It is not a necessary state, it is a contingent state. Contingent upon hearing instruction and not neglecting it. It is contingent upon hearing instruction and not neglecting it. And I want us to understand that that this transitory personal state, what do I mean by transitory? If you transit something, that means you're you're passing through. You've, You've arrived but you're on your way somewhere else. It's transitory. So being wise, you may have, you may now be wise today, but it's transitory because where are you headed next? Are you going to remain in wisdom next? Or is it transitory because you're going to depart from wisdom tomorrow? Say, not until we enter into glory and enter into our eternal state, I believe, will we ever be able to claim any of these aspects of holy, perfect, wise, happy, Okay, be happy. That's what we have um, in verse 32 and in verse 34 with the blessed are, happy are. Okay, be happy. You know, don't worry, be happy. And that, is that, yeah, I know. It's a terrible song. First captain I ever served in the Army, once I got through with basic training in MP school, I was uh, transferred to Germany and, and arrived at, signed in at my very first ever duty station for regular army active duty and uh the captain was uh, a female captain which I didn't have a problem with but she was um this was her favorite song her favorite song was don't worry be happy and it was very pop trendy in the late 80s and and she tried to adapt it for a cadence a military cadence in what we were running pt and oh my goodness, it was just, I mean, she kind of had some kind of rhythm with it and forced the sergeants to do better, and they, they kind of sort of got a rhythm with it. With the, but I mean, and I don't know what the music is like and the, and the rhythm of, the, of the, that style, but um, it was just embarrassing, you know, because you're, you're not the only unit on post, right? I mean, there's other, there's other units there, and they're, they're doing their PT in the morning, and you're doing your PT in the morning, and they're doing their cadence and songs and you have this desire to maybe slip out of ranks and go run with those guys for a while. <laughs> anyway. No, I tease. She's on Facebook, by the way. We are now Facebook friends, of all things. With the very first captain I ever served in the United States Army. Well, don't worry, be happy. We'll talk about that. What does it mean to be happy? Well, happy are they who keep my ways, Proverbs 8.32. Happy is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting on my doorpost. There's happiness. And we have so many uh, Christians and they're not happy. Well, why aren't they happy? They should be happy. How can I feel discouraged? Okay. Now, I understand the shadows come, but what do I, what do, I do about it? All right, yeah, I sing because I'm happy. Happier they. All right, so being happy, being wise, being holy, being perfect, being anything we're commanded to be. 
Let's recognize it's, it's continuous action. It's all day, every day. And I have to consistently work at it. Because if I don't, I will lose it. It is a transitory personal state and it is contingent upon hearing instruction and not neglecting it. I believe, and, and, and I, get, I know I make people mad. I'm not trying to make people mad. And I'm not saying we're the most perfect church that's ever been planted on the planet, right? But in contrast with other ministries that shall remain unnamed, in contrast with other churches where the Word of God is not taught, where they're not living and learning the Word of God, if they are neglecting Musar instruction, and they may have the greatest music you've ever heard in the music program and entertainment. They've got a whole video team. They've got all kinds of stuff going on. But their people are not hearing instruction. It is, in fact, being neglected. Doctrine gets neglected. I'm happy with anything. If the ladies want to do a retreat, you want to do a, a whatever, you want to do a VBS, you want to do a, a Tuesday night class, a Thursday night class, or whatever... I, am, I will okay anything as long as doctrine is not neglected. If doctrine is neglected, then forget it. You know, I veto that in a heartbeat. So it must not be neglected. Musar, hearing instruction and not neglecting it. Okay? We have it here in verse 33. Be wise. And it'll come back again in Proverbs 13, 18. Proverbs 13, 18. Poverty and shame will come to him who neglects musar, who neglects discipline. But he who regards reproof will be honored. And that's the thing. If you're listening to doctrine, that will include the musar, the discipline, instruction, the reproof, the hard-hitting messages, the, um, the, the, the no apologies preaching against sin and evil and everything else. Some folks, you know, the ear-tickling approach, tell me just the happy, fluffy stuff. I don't want that hard stuff. Okay? And so there it is again. It's the uh, neglect of discipline. Poverty and shame will come to him who neglects discipline. But he who who regards reproof will be honored. Over to chapter 15 and verse 32. could even uh, tack verse 31 on, onto that as well. He whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. But notice that. It's life-giving reproof. Will dwell among the wise. But he who neglects discipline despises himself. Despises himself. Connect that to the no man ever hated his own body, the, the idea of loving yourself and loving your body and hating your body. He who neglects discipline despises himself. But he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, the musar for wisdom. And before honor comes humility. Are you humble enough to keep learning? Are you humble enough to accept the musar? Now musar, M-U-W-C-A-R, yeah, M-U-W-C-A-R, it's a samek instead of a sheen. With the S sound. Number 4148 is the strongest concordance number. And I'm not going to teach it today because we taught it already in chapter 1. It was one of the foundational vocabulary words for all of Proverbs. All right, we've got wisdom, we've got musar. This is the word for disciplined instruction. This is what gets brought into the New Testament as paideia, or the verb paiduo, to bring up a child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord the disciplined instruction of the Lord. And this is uh, not necessarily the academic instruction. You can get it academically, but you get it enforced through discipline as God teaches you in life. The disciplined instruction of the Lord. This is, uh, it's used in child training. Again, training up the children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It is disciplined instruction. That is, you, you lay down the standards, you observe the conformity, or you discipline the uh, the unconformity the nonconformity to truth it's disciplined instruction 
and you're teaching right and wrong and you're teaching what pleases god you're teaching what's sin and you're assigning the consequences when that standard is broken that's disciplined instruction paideia in the greek in the new testament is musar in the hebrew in the old testament and so we see it there all right thirdly then being happy Subpoint C, being happy is a transitory personal state contingent upon hearing, watching, and waiting in verse 34. Being happy. Do you think a person's going to make you happy? A church, a job, a spouse, a drink, <laughs> a six-pack, <laughs> lots of drinks. Um a chemical substance, something you smoke, something you inhale. What is it that's going to make you happy? Money? Oh, yeah, yeah. Money will make you happy. Okay? And think about what God has designed. God knows our very nature. It's, 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 it's connected. It's inseparable from the hypostatic union, from the beginning of the humanity of Jesus Christ and what He delighted in in observing his son and what his son delighted in in playing before the father and that dynamic of father and son and what delights the father towards the son and what delights the son towards the father you cannot separate that from the biblical definition of happiness the happiness that we have by design in humanity is going to be before the father and the son It's going to be listening to His Word. It's going to be keeping His ways. As it says here in verse 34, hearing, watching, and waiting. Happy is the man who listens to me. If I back up to verse 32, it's happy are they who keep my ways. This is the fuller definition of keeping my ways. Blessed, happy is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorpost. So I have a threefold activity. Listening, watching and waiting and depending on how you want to outline it you could you could either uh, devise it as one as thirds or you can make listening the heading and then put watching and waiting underneath in any event all three of them are they're all sheen verbs we've already had the shamat and the shamer now we're going to add to it the shakad shakad so what we have here is we have a formula. Shamak plus Shamer plus Shakad equals happiness. <laughs> I'm going to write a book. I guarantee this formula will make you happy. Okay? And I can guarantee that because the Word of God says so. So think of it as a mathematical formula or a chemical formula or some kind of a recipe for happiness. Shamak plus Shamer plus Shakad. Now we have another component. We have another component which actually speaks to destiny, destination, purpose. What's coming next? What am I waiting eagerly for? Is it just an eternal, endless listening and obeying? Or is there something I'm eagerly waiting for in the concept of Shakad? As I'm remaining wakeful, I'm remaining watchful. I'm not falling asleep on the job. I'm not growing bored with the entire process. In Malachi, they got bored with the doctrine. They said, ho-hum, it's tedious, right? But I am wakeful. I am watchful. That's shockad. We had this, uh, this wasn't too long ago, in um i think it was chapter one of jeremiah because we had almond branches right and you saw a vision of the almond branch and he was told and we saw the meaning of the almond and for to be watchful and and he saw an almond branch and, and god said he said and jeremiah said and it's because i'm watching over you and the verb there is to watch over to watch to be awake the almond tree is called the waking trees the first one to bloom in the spring Anyway, I don't have my Jeremiah chapter 1 notes up here, but uh, we looked at that slightly in uh, 
in Jeremiah chapter 1. Don't do a lot of, oh, there it is, Jeremiah 1, 12. Ha! Thank you. Thank you, Lord. That's, uh, man, how'd that get there? How about Psalm 127? Well, let's look at that first, and then Psalm 127, but uh, Jeremiah 1, 12. I was sharing with the men at uh, 9 o'clock when we meet, ladies meet for prayer, and, and we meet over in the classroom there and do some training and other things. But um, what I did in Isaiah, what I'm doing again in Jeremiah, is creating a reading plan for that book and reading that book every single month. And so in the month of April, I'm reading all 52 chapters of, of uh, Jeremiah. I'm going to do it again in the month of May. I'm going to do it again in the month of June. And so in the process of, of teaching Jeremiah over 12 months, I'm going to read the book of Jeremiah 12 times in those 12 months of, of teaching the book. And that's just recreational reading. That's not reading for study. That's not reading to put notes together or get, I mean, yeah, I get ideas, but, but actually studying and putting things on paper and getting ready for the pulpit. Um, I don't do that in my, in my recreational reading, see. So today it's Jeremiah 23 and 24. That's my reading today in order to get through the end of, of uh, Jeremiah by the end of the month. And, um, of course, I'm not going to teach Jeremiah 23 and 24 for, for weeks. we got chapter 7 coming up this week. But in the process of reading it 12 times, I got to read Isaiah 14 times in the process of teaching Isaiah over 66 weeks. And uh, anyway, I just I found it useful. I'm enjoying it. You get to learn a book pretty well if you read it 14 times. And, uh, you know, you, you kind of get an idea that where stuff is and in what particular part of the book, what chapter you can find stuff in. Anyway, so I recommend that and shared that with the men this morning and share it with uh, everybody here this hour. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 12, the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. Now, I know how I taught it a few weeks ago, but do you ever think about God the Father watching over God the Son? The word that comes out of his mouth that will not return void, but will accomplish every purpose for which I sent it. You ever think of those verses on a Trinitarian basis as referencing God the Father and God the Son as the living word? Or do we just assume this is always the written word every time we come to it? Okay, I think primarily it's the written word most times we come to it. But could we consider on a deeper level, could we consider on a more eternal scope that God the Father is watching over His Son? Well, sure. Look how He birthed them. Look how He watched over them in Proverbs chapter 8. Look at how the Son was uh, playing and serving and and operating in in the face of the Father. Anyway, but the... uh, the watching over there is our verb shakad. That's our verb shakad, and that's why the rod of the almond tree is—it's uh, a cognate noun that comes from shakad. Uh, the Lord came to me saying, "What do you see, Jeremiah?" And he said, "I see a rod of an almond tree." And the Lord said, "Good, you've seen well, for I am watching over." And the, the word play there makes the point. All right, Psalm 127. Psalm 127 and verse 1. We know this one very well. Or I do, maybe. I hope we all do. You ever feel like uh, you're wasting your time? (laughs) You ever feel like what you're doing is a total waste, frivolous, vain? You're spinning your wheels and you're not getting anywhere? Okay, well, you are if you're neglecting the Word of God, if you're following your own track and you're not serving what God would have for you to do. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, and I believe that's Shamer, the watchmen shakads in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman shakad keeps awake in vain. And so we realize if we're at cross purposes, then what are we doing? If God's not in it, what are we doing? Uh, this is the verse that lies behind the concept of <coughs> quit asking God to bless, 
<coughs> excuse me, quit asking God to bless what you're doing and start doing what God's blessing. You're his fellow worker. He's not your fellow worker. You're his fellow worker. Get on board his plan and program. We're saved unto good works which are prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If we just create these things on our own and say, here's what I'm doing and demand that God accepts it, how is that any different than Cain bringing his vegetables? Say, if the Lord's not building the house, what are we doing? We could have never built this church building if God wasn't doing it. How would we have put this place up? Say, or Stan Newton. I'm a, I love the fact Stan just had his building dedication down there in Houston. All right, well, I'm out of time. Well, um, two subpoints here and then a point D, and we're almost done with the chapter, and I don't think it'll take the whole hour next week to do uh, subpoint one, subpoint two, and uh, D. So, yeah, we'll tie that together next week and then uh, get our first glimpse at. Uh, Chapter 9, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has prepared her food. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. That sounds like the kind of place I want to hang out in. (laughs) Man, I could be comfy there. All right. And we'll talk about dwelling and living as we talk about abiding in the Word of God. Okay. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness, for your truth, for this time together. We are looking forward, Father. We are listening. We are keeping And we are watching. Oh, we are wakefully anticipating. We are at your doorposts asking if today might be the day. Even so, come Lord Jesus. I thank you in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.